John chapter 13. The gospel of intimacy from John, the intimate friend of Jesus. As we read this text, listen for the way in which Jesus shows his vulnerability to his disciples, the ones who are closest to him, the ones who have all of the expectations of him. John chapter 13, some excerpts. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. That's that word telos, which means it's the final end. It's the dead end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, he was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Simon Peter therefore motioned to the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And, of course, one of the other Gospels said, he was really thinking, is it me? So while reclining next to Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in this dish. So when Jesus had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And after he received that piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you just a while longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the religious leaders, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, Why can't I follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. The word of the Lord. O Lord, now help us to receive this word that you have spoken from ancient times 
a word among your beloved few in the most difficult moments. And help us now to receive and live through our most difficult moments in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my guess, somewhere along the line, you've become familiar with Dwayne Johnson, the actor. He's called The Rock. I first got to know the name Dwayne Johnson because my two daughters went to high school at the same high school where he was. Freedom High School in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There are two high schools. There's one's Freedom and one's Liberty. You get the message. In those days, at 16 years of age, when he went into high school, his family was deeply troubled and he had just become a large enough young man that he was a threat to almost everybody. He was 6'4", weighed 225 pounds at 16 years old. But he was a punk by his own admission. He had a very bad attitude. He thought the world owed him and hadn't paid up. He decided one day that he needed to go to the restroom, and since the boys' restroom was typically too smelly, he decided to go to the faculty lounge of the teachers. By the way, this is a true story that's made known by Oprah. Didn't think that I paid attention to Oprah, did you? Once he was in there and he was using the restroom, one of the faculty members came in and said, what are you doing here? It was one of the teachers by the name of Jody Swick. He happened to be the teacher and the football coach. You can't be in here, so leave right now. And being a young man of attitude, he took his time, washed his hands, and kind of lingered past the teacher in disrespect. Later on that night, something happened in his psyche. He tells the story. He said, I felt really bad how I treated that teacher in that restroom. So the next day, I went back to that teacher, Jody Swick, and I apologized to him for disrespecting him and treating him that poorly. I was out of line, he said. I put out my hand to shake his hand, and he hesitated just a moment, looked me in the eyes, and finally did put out his hand, but he didn't let go once he got a hold of it. He held on to my hand and looked in my eyes and said, look, I want you to play football for me. And from that point on, his life was different. You wouldn't think that a young man at 16 with such a powerful stature already would make himself that vulnerable to a teacher. But he did. Something clicked in his head and he said, I need to treat that teacher with more respect. And he humbled himself in front of that teacher. We all have those moments where we wake up to our humility, our vulnerability, 
the awareness that we are not performing in the way that we really want to perform or should perform, we are very human and we make mistakes. And we treat other human beings rather poorly. When I was in the 11th grade and I was studying piano, I thought I might be the next Van Cliburn. After all, I was tall and I had curly blonde hair. My teacher kept whispering in my ear, think Van Cliburn, think Van Cliburn. So I decided that I was pretty good and I wanted to sign up for the high school talent show and I had prepared the Schubert, not Schubert, the Chopin military polonaise. A very grand piece for a great, very grand piano player. And I was wailing on that piece in the middle of it, and I was doing really well, and I got to one of those climactic moments where there's double octaves, and they're going in opposite directions, and I am really going for it, and it's supposed to be a double D. And I hit a D in the bass, and I hit an E in the treble. And I hit it with triple forte. Now, for those of you who don't know the dissonance of that moment, let me tell you, it was striking. (laughs) And I stopped, and there was a gasp in the crowd. And I tried it again, building up to those double octaves, and I did the same mistake twice. And by that time, I'm thinking, I'm out of here. (laughs) I have humiliated myself in public. Now, a little background here. I also played basketball in high school. I wasn't very good at it, by the way. But I did, the day before, break two teeth across the front of my mouth because I hit the floor getting wrapped up in somebody else's legs. So I had gone into that piano performance moment with a really deep sense that I have broken teeth, I don't feel very good, and I'm feeling already pretty vulnerable. Well, by the end of that piece, I was feeling very vulnerable. But I can tell you that I look back on those moments, and those are the moments that prepared me to do what I'm doing right here and now, which is to stand in front of a crowd of people and speak and kind of let it be what it is with all my flaws and with all my humiliations. You ever been there? Every good performer knows those moments. I've got dozens of them in my life. I'm sure you have a few there. Where our vulnerability is so public, we just as soon go and hide. In the early 60s, my father had started a business. He had spent a lot of time preparing to start this business. It was going very well And within a matter of a year of starting the business, the doctor diagnosed him with an inoperable bad back, and he would have to spend the next year in bed. And my dad said, what about my business? What about my family? They have no way to be supported. I watched my parents go through the most vulnerable year of their life. No income, No work, just weakness and loss. And I can tell you today 
after retrospect and looking at their lives for, for a year, that it taught me the core importance of faith in the darkest moments. When we are most vulnerable. I saw my dad, who was a very knowledgeable, successful man, absolutely in the pits day after day, and my mom cried almost every day. In the Gospel of John, we get a pretty clear message that there is no gospel without intimacy with Jesus. In this particular text, there is no gospel without Jesus' extreme vulnerability before before his friends. He is very honest and straightforward. He tells it like it is, and he is in deep, deep troubled spirit. We kind of look for those moments in life life where we are given some clear message about how to deal with our vulnerability, and Jesus gives us a few hints here. You may know this very popular song that taught a lot of people about vulnerability in an age when you didn't really put vulnerability in songs. The title of the song is Sometimes When We Touch. The words were by Dan Hill, relatively unknown at that point in his life, about 22 years of age, and he just was struggling with his own relationship with a woman, and this is where the words came from. And sometimes when we touch, the honesty is too much. And I have to close my eyes and hide. I want to hold you till I die, till we both break down and cry. I want to hold you till fear in me subsides. And then honesty says, at times I'd like to break you and drive you to your knees. At times I'd like to break through and hold you endlessly. Well, that song hit a nerve, a deep nerve, and the way he said it, he said, that song, actually, I didn't write that song, that song wrote me. Sometimes I'd put that song out there and people would think it was the most gorgeous thing and other people would shrug, a collective shrug, and say, so what? That's a nice romantic thought, but it's out of touch with reality. Some people said the song freakishly freakishly summed up their lives, changed their world, and deconstructed their relationships. Therapists said it was a powerful tool in coaching couples to communicate more effectively. I mean, this song registered in a lot of people's lives. The feminist boycotted the song because that one moment in the song where he says, I want to tear you down. They said, well, we don't want any guys tearing women down in songs. But then they came back a little bit later and discovered, no, actually, that was a point of vulnerability, and maybe we do want men who have that kind of vulnerability. And he said this about himself, I felt like I was laying down my palpable unmanliness and brain insecurity for millions to hear. I breached some unspoken male code, and in doing so, tainted all men by association." But an awful lot of women heard that song and found it damn desirable. 
I'm not here to try to talk you into that song as to well, talk you into. We need those moments where our humanity becomes vulnerable to other human beings. And that song continues to register a deep vulnerability where it's heard. To the point that some people have to dismiss it because it's a little too sentimental for them. And this theme of vulnerability, probably the most noted voice in our culture today that speaks to this is a woman by the name of Brene Brown. She is a research PhD from the University of Houston, and she wanted to do her research PhD project on human vulnerability. And she put so much time and energy into that, and she, by our own admission, says, I'm a very competitive, success-oriented woman, and I wanted to make this a really important study, and I put all my energy into it. And guess what? She had an emotional breakdown and had to stop the research. She said, I didn't expect that my own human vulnerability would be at stake when I was researching vulnerability. Well, she has a number of things to say about vulnerability. She's considered probably the hottest business consultant speaker around today because businesses want to hear what she has to say about leadership. And she goes to them and she says, I'll talk about leadership, but I have to be able to talk about vulnerability. And you know what businesses think about vulnerability? Well, talk about leadership, but don't spend too much time on this vulnerability thing. We don't want our employees to become too vulnerable. And you know what she says. I'm not coming unless I can talk about vulnerability because there is no such thing as leadership without vulnerability. You see some, some things about vulnerability. Vulnerability is about showing up and being seen. It's tough to do when we're terrified about what people might think or see in us. Vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the path to the feeling of worthiness. If it doesn't feel vulnerable, the sharing is probably not constructive. Now, I've got to tell you that in my public presence, those moments where I really blew it in public are the places where I discovered vulnerability and have led me to the place where I can actually probably preach halfway decently today because I'm kind of willing to be vulnerable in public. Didn't used to do that. She goes on to say, if you think dealing with issues like worthiness and authenticity and vulnerability are not worthwhile because there are more pressing issues, like the bottom line or attendance or standardized test scores, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. Vulnerability underpins everything humanity does. And she notes, particularly about men, men walk this tightrope where any sign of weakness elicits shame. And so they're afraid to make themselves vulnerable, vulnerable for fear of looking weak. I'm here to say that why we love Jesus so much is because Jesus has become completely vulnerable 
and makes himself vulnerable to the point of being willing to die. And that really impresses us. Vulnerability, according to Brene Brown, is not weakness. It is a core strength. Vulnerability is willing to live with uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And most of our culture is built around the assumption that we want to protect ourselves at all costs. And that doesn't work for human vulnerability. What does it mean for us to put our opinions out there in public? Our work, our art, our writing, our performances with the possibility that we can really blow it or people may not like it. Possibility of being rejected, of being criticized. To have a sense that life is good and suddenly it turns bad from joy to grief. We have to learn to engage our vulnerability if we want to grow to maturity. Now let me say that again. We human beings, have to learn to engage our vulnerability if we want to grow up into the full stature of Jesus. Because Jesus is the lead, vulnerable leader. Vulnerability says we can't go it alone. We need other people around us. And how many of us would just love to be able to do it on our own by ourselves? My dad when he was building his business, I can do this, I can do it, I don't need other people's help. And then he was in bed for a year. And guess what he needed? A lot of other people's help. I can tell you we would not survive that year if we hadn't had lots of outside help. It was hard. In our culture of shame today, where people are overly critical, they're polarized, they're reprimanding, they're willing to belittle and judge and condemn. This is our political culture. We are absolutely feeding on the refusal to be vulnerable with each other. How dare a Republican be vulnerable with a Democrat? How dare a Democrat be vulnerable with a Republican? We have got to stop this. It's hell. And I'm being vulnerable just saying it. When I was a young parent and our daughter Tamara was just a baby, she had the colic. She had this constant irritated stomach. I think she got my stomach. And it was not easy. She never slept through the night. We were dead tired as parents. There were moments where we looked at each other and said, you, you take her. And that one morning that we woke up, we'd had a terrible night. I was holding her and I got a little faint and I started to drop her. And she pretty much, I caught her a little bit, she pretty much went to the floor with a thud. And that really upset her. She broke her collarbone. I can tell you I felt very vulnerable. I thought, wow, I'm really a bad parent. I still feel the pain of that moment. In John 13, we see the vulnerability of Jesus who's willing to confront Judas and Peter about the things that they are going to do that are not good. 
Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. His own vulnerability isn't just about his willingness to die. It's about his willingness to tell the truth to his friends around him. At a most intimate moment when they are in the Last Supper, this is their last meal together, and they're talking about all sorts of very personal things. Vulnerability isn't just about me. It's my willingness to be honest with you and our willingness to be honest with each other. Even if we don't like what we have to say or to hear. Not that we're trying to beat up on each other. No. But we are trying to grow up and be real. Earl Palmer in his book on John's Gospel said, in the intimate gospel, there's a lonely way and only Jesus could walk it himself. Jesus says to Peter, when Peter says, I'm going to follow you, you can't follow me. Maybe later you will, but right now you don't have the ability to follow me into that kind of vulnerability and that kind of sacrifice and that kind of death. Now here's the amazing thing in this text. It is in the face of Jesus giving up everything in his humility and his humiliation that it says five times in this text that God wants to glorify God in Jesus and help the people see Jesus' glory. Now, you'd think the glory of God is all about the resurrection. This is actually post-Easter, right? We should be celebrating the resurrection. Why are we talking about the death of Jesus? Well, guess what? Because in John's gospel, it's not the resurrection that brings the most powerful, glorious moment. It's how Jesus dies. It's how Jesus is willing to be vulnerable with his disciples. That human vulnerability is considered by John the Beloved to be the most glorious thing about the life of Jesus. So as much as we look forward to the resurrection, let us not miss the opportunity to bring glory to God in the tough stuff right here and now. How we are honest with each other, how we are willing to lay down our lives for each other, how we are willing to put ourselves out in public, even if it might cause shame, even if we have to write a song that a lot of people make fun of. Because in those moments, the true humanity of who we are shines bright. And Jesus led the way. And so it is in Jesus' death that he's most vulnerable, to the point that Mark says at the end of the gospel that when the centurion who stood right in front of the cross and had to pay attention to Jesus every moment of his dying days, his dying hours, when he saw Jesus and how he died, the centurion from Rome said, he had to be the son of God. No one else could die like that. And so we are invited into that, not that we're ever going to be the sacrifice like Jesus, but that we can love each other to that extent.
in that kind of vulnerability. Let's pray. O oh Lord, help us to follow you, even though it takes a while, to go where you go. That we would be willing to live lives that give up everything that we are as human beings, that we might be real, compassionate, empathetic, that we might be present when everybody else deserts. Even when we betray and deny, help us, Lord, in our failures to see our vulnerability and what you can do with us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive And then he died To
sing Amazing Grace.